That is such a good response. Well, if I haven't got a chance to meet you yet, my name is Cody Wason, and I'm the lead pastor here. And as always, excited to be here, always excited to gather as a family and celebrate Jesus. And uh, last week, we kicked off uh, our new series called Relationships Are Hard. And uh, before I recap where we were last week and then, and then dive in this week, I want to give a, a two disclaimers um, that I probably should have given uh, last week as we launched into the series, uh, talking about relationships are hard. Because here's the reality. Relationships are hard, and this three-week series won't make them easy. Uh, so that this is not a three-week series to solving all of our relational issues. Um, relationships are hard because people uh, are broken and flawed, and will, they will always be a, there will always be a hard aspect to some of our relationships, and that's okay. We can learn how to do hard things. But with the hope of this series uh, is that we can put relationships in the right perspective, see ourselves and others in the correct way, that our relationships could be healthier, and we might be able to avoid some of the unnecessary uh, hardness, if you will, of relationships. So that's disclaimer one. This series is not meant to solve all of your relationship issues. It's meant to direct us to Jesus and get us a little healthier. And the second thing I want to say is that relationships are worth it. And I'm not just talking like romantic relationships. I mean, people are worth it. And we have to be a people who value people. I, I think uh, often I, I think about if I'm blessed with the opportunity to grow old, and I think about what I'm going to look back on in my life, and I think about what are the things I'm going to regret about how I made decisions and how I li lived my life. And there's two things that I know that I know that I know I won't regret, you won't regret, is if you give your life for Jesus and the gospel and for people. It'll worth, the, the, the return on an investment, maybe you won't see it always right in the moment, but, but it's worth it to lay your life down for the gospel and for people. Uh, I think about creation, I think about the, the, the Genesis 1, and uh, God creates uh, everything and his crowning jewel is, is humanity. And before sin has entered the world, so, so it's, it creation is right and it's perfect, you would think, because sin hasn't entered the world, but there was one problem, one problem that God saw, and he says, it is not good that man should be alone. And I think, you know, oftentimes we, we start going down the road of like, well, that means uh, like relationships and romance and procreation and all this stuff. But I think if he had meant, like, just romantically, he would have said it. But he didn't. He said it's not good that we're alone. There's nowhere in Scripture that I've found an affirmation of the Lone Ranger. Even Paul himself had people that he did life with, that he walked with. So we, we, we've, we've got to just establish that relationships are worth it. And I know that, that some in the room, for some in the room, relationships are hard, and, and, and maybe you want to be a Lone Ranger. But can I just say, Jesus has something for you tonight. People are worth it. Relationships are worth it. Okay, you with me? Okay, let's recap where we were last week. Last week we talked about relationships are hard when you don't know who you are. So we, we, we dove into the story of Jacob, and we looked at this man who was named Jacob, who his name meant heel grabber, his name meant deceiver, his name meant manipulator, and he lived under the weight of this name, this identity that he had received from people, and he lived under that weight his whole life until he had an encounter 
with God, and he was renamed. And we talked about our uh, propensity as humans is to collect name tags and to put this burden on our relationships, whether it's romantic or not, friends, family, coworkers. We put burdens on these relationships. We give relationships naming rights. And when we give relationships naming rights, it never ends well because you and I were not meant to carry that burden. And our relationships were not meant to carry the burden of being the source of identity for each other. we got to know who God says we are. We've got to fight to believe it. Otherwise, our relationships will always strain under the weight of something they were never meant to carry. So that's where we were last week. So I'm just going to come out and say where we're going this week. And you might not like it, but that's okay. Stick with me. I think we're going to get something out of it tonight. Um, Tonight, part two of relationships are hard. Relationships are hard when they're all about you. All right. Okay. That's a encouraging response. Okay. So uh, for some of us, that's not fun to think about. We like things being about us. We like, we, we, generally as humans, uh, we want things that are to our benefit or to us. But here's the deal. We have been sold the lie that relationships are meant to serve us. Actually, we've been sold the lie that life is about us. And it's not. We've been sold the lie that some of us have been sold the lie that this whole book is about us. When it's really about God. And our part in his story, and our part of, in his story of redemption and creation and life. It, can I just say, just right off the bat, the more you make life about you getting what you want, when you want, how you want, the harder your life's going to be. Because it's not the way it was designed to be. Okay, so just store that one away. We'll come back to that later. But we've been sold this idea that whatever doesn't serve me, I need to get rid of it. You know, and, and maybe on, on some level, it's like I, I am, I'm very much the guy who does not, who's not interested in fixing things. I just, if, it, if something's broke, I want to go buy a new one. If something has a hole, I want to go get, I just, I don't have interest in, in, in fixing. I don't have interest in, if it's, not, if it's not serving its purpose in the moment anymore, I don't want to work on it. I just want to get rid of it and move on. I want to go to the store and buy a new one. That's just Is anyone else like me in the room? Anyone? Okay, all six of us. It'll be a meeting after church. We can talk about how we deal in this life. But if you think about it, we've been sold this mentality. We live in an age that is so me-centric. And if, if you don't serve me feeling good about myself, I don't have time for you. If you, don't, if you don't make me feel good or, or feel affirmed or if you don't encourage me and all these things, it's, if you don't do what I need you to do and make me feel what I think I need to feel, I don't have time for you. And we're, all, we're, we're kind of taught that that's like holy. I mean, that's right. That's good. Whatever you need, that's all that matters in life. Get what you need, whatever it takes. And it's just not what we see in Scripture. We don't see in Scripture this idea that relationships are about me getting what I need, the way I need it, when I need it. It's it's just not. In fact, let's look at Jesus. He's not only Savior, He's not only Messiah, but He's the model for how to live this life. In, um, In Hebrews, Jesus is referred to as the Son of God who existed eternally with the Father 
as the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. In Colossians, he's referred to as the one in whom all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And all throughout Scripture, he's referred to at different times as ruler, wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, Messiah, anointed one, and king. And then Jesus in Mark 10, 45, says this, For even the Son of Man, referring to himself, did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. If there was anyone in human history that had a right to make life about him, it was Jesus. If there was anyone that walked the earth that had a right to make every relationship, every person he encountered to, to, to about him and about worshiping him and, and, and bowing down to him, and he, it was Jesus. And he's the one that flips this idea of, of the, the life is about me getting what I need, and he says, actually, I, even me, I came to serve. And not only did I come to serve, but he takes it a step further and he says, I came to lay my life down for others. Now he's, he's talking about the cross. He's talking about I'm literally going to die for others. I'm going to die for people who don't care about me. I'm going to die for people that don't like me. I'm going to die for people who, who, who do not care that I exist or that I love them or that I'm for them. I'm going to die for them. I'm going to lay down my life. But you see, somewhere along the line line, with this lie that life is all about us, relationships are all about us, we have unlearned how to do hard things. We've unlearned how to do conflict. We've unlearned, or, or this way, we've learned if there's friction, if there's conflict, it's wrong and it's bad and we got to move on. And we're missing the heart of the gospel when we look at Jesus and the life that he lived and the life that he prescribed about serving others and preferring others and putting others' needs before ourselves. It's just all over Scripture. If our relationships are going to thrive, we have to first have this foundational understanding that it's not about you. Your friendships are not about you getting what you need because you guess what? You will always need more. There's never going to be a way to be satisfied. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But in, in, I, and that's why if you're in the room and you're married or you're engaged or you're dating or you're single or you want to be, any of those things. We put, we, 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 we look at romance, we look at dating and we look at marriage and we say, that's going to fulfill what I need. I have something missing, and that relationship, that, if I, that marriage, that, if I can just get the boyfriend, get the girlfriend, that will just... That will meet my needs. And you know what? It won't. Maybe it will for a season. Maybe, maybe you'll, you'll, you'll get your needs met for a season, but that tank will always run dry. So I, as I go into, this is kind of just, just so you know, this is all just the introduction. So we're just, I'm just intro, I'm introducing where we're going tonight. Um, okay. We have to go into the rest of this message with that understanding that our relationships will always be hard and they're not going to thrive when they're all about you. Now, here's the reality. I've, I've used the term needs several times and I've used that on purpose 
Because emotionally, us as, to be human is to have need. To be human is to have emotional needs and, and, and longings of the heart. And, and laying your life down for others, putting others before yourself, does not remove the fact that you have needs. It just puts you in a position to receive those needs from God and not from others. But the reality is, like, we, we have to be humble enough to say, we have needs. And that's okay. Tonight, we're going to talk about where do we find the fulfillment of those needs. And here's the other thing I want to say. It was the design of God that you and I would be needy people. So if you're in the room and you're feeling ashamed of the fact that you need something relationally or emotionally, don't be ashamed. It is literally the design of God. It's it's God designed and it's programmed, it's purposed by God that we might be drawn back to Him. That we might be drawn back, that we might realize we have needs that you and I can't meet for each other. There must be one who can meet them, and it's God. The purpose of you and I having needs is not to be needy people. It's not to worship the fact that we're needy. It's not to worship emotions. It's to point us back and guide us back to the heart of God, that we might find fulfillment in Him and Him alone. So the rest of of tonight, what I want to talk about our emotional needs as humans. And I was, reading a, I was reading a book preparing for this message. I don't know if anyone is uh, familiar with Mike Bickle. No. Okay. So Mike Bickle is a, a, a pastor. He's uh, led the uh, International House of Prayer in Kansas City. And he wrote a book that I read a long time ago. And that book is called The Seven Longings of the Human Heart. And in this book, Mike Bickle just kind of walks through seven um, I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory, but seven, seven longings. But, but the, the, the whole point of the book is that these are, are universal truths, that every human has these seven longings and, se- and, and needs and emotional needs that were designed to be met in God and God alone. And I remembered that book, and I, I went back and just started reading it as I was preparing for tonight. And in that book, he references a moment in, in history that I want to take us into tonight because it's going to kind of lead us into to the rest of the message. So um, if I could, for just a second, we're going to talk about the Oscars for a moment, the Academy Awards. <laughs> no one is following me right now. It's okay. That was a hard left. Just stick with me. <laughs> so uh, he references this moment in Oscar history. There's a famous acceptance speech from 1985. And when I read it, I was like, I wonder if I could go find that. And sure enough, the magic of YouTube, it was there. And so I decided instead of just telling you about it, I would just take us into it and let us watch it. Now, here's the deal. I could have shown us for the, for the purpose of the message, I could have shown you like a 15-second like like clip and then done a lot of explaining. But I like videos and I love movies and I watch the Academy Awards when I remember that they're on. And I thought this would be fun for us together to watch. So it's about a little bit over three minutes. I'm going to take you into, we're going to find out who won Best Actress uh, in 1985. Go ahead and roll the tape. You know, there are many traditions in the movie business. It'd always be nice to people on the way up, you know, in case your career should suddenly begin to lose altitude. Stay humble. Always answer your phone, no matter who else is in the car. One of the better traditions, 
the happier traditions always bring back last year's best actor to present this year's best actress. And here to perform that semi-sacred rite is Mr. Robert Duval. Our five nominated actresses have a good deal in common with the on-screen women they played. Each has a strength and a discipline which she brought to her character, roles which also serve as role models. And tonight we honor five of the best. For best performance by an actress in a leading role, the nominees are for her portrayal as the young English woman transformed by events during the days of the empire, Judy Davis in A Passage to India. As a widow and mother who turns to farming the land for a new beginning, Sally Field in Places in the Heart. As a determined woman who refuses to give in to the pressures of government bureaucracy, Jessica Lang in Country. For her role as a champion of women's rights and liberties in 19th century America, Vanessa Redgrave in The Bostonians. As the faithful and courageous wife who fights hard times and temptation, Sissy Spacek in The River. And the winner is Sally Field in Places in the Heart. you did for me. You changed my life, truly. This means so much more to me this time. I don't know why. I think the first time I hardly felt it because it was all so new. I owe a lot to the cast, to my players, to Lindsay and John and Danny and Ed and Amy and my little friends, Ginny and Yankton. I owe a lot to my family for holding me together and loving me and having patience with this obsession of me. But I want to say thank you to you. I haven't had an orthodox career, and I've wanted more than anything to have your respect. The first time I didn't feel it, but this time I feel it, and I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. All right. Anybody watch that live? No? Okay. 1985. Uh, has anyone seen that film, Places of the Heart? Oh, we got two, three. Let's go. I know nothing about it, so we're going to move on. <clears throat> um, that is not the point. But, uh, man, so... What Sally expresses in her acceptance speech 
is one of the, like, it, it's universal, it's raw, it's emotional, and it is the fact that we all have needs. I mean, she gets up there in front of her peers and it, it, almost in tears, uh, yelling, you like me. You really like me. But here's the, I don't know if you caught it, but she said the last time it didn't really land. It didn't really register. So if you go back and look at Sally's career, that was in 1985. In 1979, she had won the Academy Award for the Best Actress in a Leading Role. And in 1976, she had won an Emmy for the Best Actress on a Television Show in a Leading Role. So here's a woman who for the last 10 years has been honored at the top of her uh, profession. She has the respect. She is a superstar. She is loved and beloved, and she has the respect. But what is she up there saying? You really like me. I think you really like me. See, we, we have needs. We have emotional needs. But what's, what Sally is illustrating, what that, 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 that end of that clip illustrates is the reality that you and I will never be enough for each other. If you are trying to get your emotional needs met in another person, you will always be disappointed. And if you put that hope that you're going to find that fulfillment in a relationship, in a marriage, in, in, in a best friend, with a parent, with a son or daughter, whatever. If that's what you're putting on that relationship, you will always be disappointed. Because, it, it, again, it is by the design of God that you and I cannot be enough for each other. Now, we can give each other. Now, here, let's look at some of these uh, emotional needs that, that we have. Um, my notes are all backed up. So we're just going to go without them. So if you, if you look at, if you were to read the, the seven longings of the human heart, if you were to research in psychiatry, psychology, some of the basic elemental needs of the human heart emotionally, what you would find uh, on that list include attention, affirmation, appreciation, respect, comfort, love, encouragement. And I'm sure I could go on and on and on. We have all of those needs. And we are trying to get them met in, in people and relationships that were never uh, meant to, to, to fill them. And we're left disappointed and discouraged. That's why when a, a boyfriend or girlfriend breaks up with you, if you don't know how, if you haven't learned how to get your tank filled up, to get your emotional needs met in Jesus, that can be a life-altering, life-devastating moment. Now, yes, anytime you get broken up with, there's going to be pain because relationships are hard and, and, and life is hard. And we're not sugarcoating life and we're not saying you, if you'll never get hurt. But what we're saying is if, you, if we as a people can learn to get our emotional needs met in the person of Jesus first and foremost, then when the hard stuff comes, it will be hard, but it won't change your life. It won't break you. It won't break who you are on the inside. It will impact you because it should, but it won't break you. So we have to learn to get our needs met. And see, so it's okay if you're in the room. If you have a need to be liked, it's okay. But do you know that Jesus likes you? It's okay to want to be comforted. But do you know that he can comfort you? It's okay to be sitting here and saying, I just wish anyone noticed me. I feel so unnoticed all the time. But do you know that you can press into Jesus and you can find 
A God who didn't just create you, who didn't just redeem you, who didn't just save you, but He knows you, and He sees you, and He has things for you every day. You see, like, we, the, the, here's the deal. What's at stake here is not just our relationships with each other. What's at stake here is if we miss this, if we miss the opportunity to, to, to realize that our needs can be met by Jesus, our relationships with others will suffer and we'll miss out on learning and engaging with an aspect of God's character. You see, a lot of people, maybe in the room, maybe not, but we, we know him as Savior. We know him as the one who died for us. We know, the, we know him as, 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 as God. But do we, do we know him as friend? Do we, do, we know her, do we know him as comforter and encourager? Do we know him as the one who is like wildly and obsessively in love with us? Do we know him that way? Because I think until we do, our relationships will continue to strain under unrealistic expectations and we'll miss out on a piece of the heart of God. So if you have your Bible, let's turn to Luke chapter 15. If you don't have your Bible, it's okay. It'll be on the screen. I just, I feel like I want to start saying if you have your Bible, maybe people will start bringing their Bible. And someone like that. So praise God. Okay. Here's the reality. Luke 15 is is uh, three parables, three stories that Jesus tells to illustrate a point. And before we jump into it, I'm going to intro it for a second. Because if we were, if I was to summarize all of the longings of the human heart, all of our emotional needs, if I was to try and put it into one word, it would be value. We have a deep need to know that we're valuable, that we're worth something. We want to know that we're worth someone liking us. We want to know that we're worth someone being romantically interested in us. We want to know that we're, we have value and that when we are hurting, we're worth being comforted. You follow? I think if you just you follow these longings and you follow these emotional needs and it leads us to this idea of, I, do I have value? And I think Luke 15 is Jesus trying three different times to tell people how valuable we are. So I'm going to read, we're going to read uh, the whole thing. Well, not the whole thing. We're going to read uh, verses 3 through 24 all together, and then we'll break it down a little bit. All right. The first one is the parable of the lost sheep, verse 3. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, does she, 
uh, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of the country, who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. All right. Luke 15, there it is. Now, uh, that parable, I, I stopped right there. The parable of the, of the um, lost son goes on to, to the other brother gets mad. It's actually a really rich, rich passage. But for time's sake, we're going to stop right there. Because I think Luke 15 is three stories of Jesus saying, you're valuable. You're worth it. In the first parable, we're talking about sheep. So just right off the bat, sheep, in this context and culture, sheep were a way of living. They were a way of livelihood. They in themselves were very valuable. And this is what Jesus says. You're valuable. You're like a sheep that has gone astray. And here's what I would do. I would leave a safe place, the open country, and I would go to unsafe places to find you. And when I find you, I don't, I'm not going to scold you. I'm not going to punish you. I'm actually going to carry you back. And when I get you back, I'm going to call all my friends and we're going to throw a party because that's how valuable you are to me. Parable two, money. Isn't it crazy? Like, does anyone read that parable, the lost coin, and realize we're not so different than than the people thousands of years ago? It's like she loses a coin and she's tearing apart her house for a coin. It's like God knew that you and I would tear apart our car for that quarter. We would do whatever we we will do whatever it takes to get what is valuable to us. I mean, God uh, He designed us. He He knows how money affects us. He knows uh, that's why so many scriptures are about uh, uh, talking about finances and money. He knows that what we what we value. We will fight for what we value. We will search for. We will rip up. And and then he goes a step further. Because I don't know about you, but I've never, in searching through my car for the quarter at the drive-thru, when I found it, I don't call anyone and tell them that I found the quarter and I was able to buy the fries. Like, it's just not how it works. But he's saying, 
That's how valuable you are. I will rip apart the house, and when I find you, I'm calling everyone to celebrate. You're valuable. And now easily the the most well-known parable, the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son, it illustrates, see, see, the sheep that went astray probably didn't know that it was going astray. Maybe it didn't realize that it was leaving open country. The coin probably didn't realize that it was lost. So here Jesus is saying, and here's to you in the crowd right now that are listening and thinking, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, I get it. The sheep's valuable. The coin, the things are valuable, but I'm not. It illustrates how we view ourselves most times. Well, you, if you knew my story, if you knew where I'd been, if you knew what I had done to my family, if you knew where I had just been, I mean, this is, this is what have been in the Jewish context. I mean, he, the son is, is with the pigs, the most unclean uh, uh, animal in, in the Jewish culture. That's where he was, the dirtiest of the dirty. And, and, and the story is saying, uh, surely, surely there's a way to, be, uh, to not be valuable enough. If there's any story that illustrates that, 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 that there's a way for you and I to not be valuable to God, this would be it. He, he says he wants part of his father's estate. That's another way of saying, I wish you were dead because I just want the money I'm going to get when you die. So the father, brokenhearted, gives him the money, and then he goes off in wild living, wastes everything, ends up with the pigs, with nothing, and he has a moment where he goes, I'm nothing. I'm not worthy to be called son. Maybe I could be a servant. How many of us in the room struggle so much trying to get our needs met, trying to be valuable, trying to know we're enough, but at the end of the day, in all our striving and all our trying, at the end of the day, oftentimes we're left with, I'm not good enough. Surely God knows where I've been. Surely he knows how unlovable and unlikable and unworthy I am. But what does the father do? He comes running and he comes kissing. And he does what? He throws another party. He throws another party. And the son doesn't understand it. The other son gets mad about it. But he throws a party. And he says, that's how valuable you are. You were gone and now you're found. You're so precious to me. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. Can you find another person in your life that is going to tell you that? They might tell you it once and it'll make a good Hallmark movie. But are you going to find another person to fill that need and to look at you in the eye time after time after time after time and say, I don't care what you did. I don't care how bad you messed up. I don't care you stole from me. I don't care you wished I was dead. I don't care you did that thing and the other. You're valuable to me, and I'm throwing you a party, and I'm putting a robe on, and I'm kissing your cheek because you're valuable. You see, it's silly when we read the the, the Scripture to think we can get that kind of attention. We can get that kind of uh, affirmation. We can get that kind of love. We can get that kind of being valued by another human. It just, it's not out there. And there's a lot of us that believe it is. There's a lot of us that are doing whatever we can to try and find that value, that identity, that love. We're trying to find that with, with, our, with, our, or with our boyfriend or girlfriend. We're trying, to, we're trying to find that, but we'll never find it outside of Jesus. Luke 15 is just Jesus saying three different times, 
You're my son. You're my daughter. You're mine. You're valuable to me. How can I get this through your head? If it's not been clear with my actions, Jesus is saying, let me try to tell you three stories to get you to understand you are valued just because of who you are, because you're mine. Try to get that from another human. Try to get, try to get your emotional needs met but with, by another human that would look at you and say, I don't, have, I don't care what you do. You're just valuable because of who you are. And you could mess up every day of your life. And I'm going to come running, and I'm going to kiss you, and I'm going to love you because you're mine. It's that kind of understanding. We've got that, that revelation of the character of God that we have to have. And we have to fill our tank. When I, when I talk about filling our tanks, getting our emotional needs met by Jesus, it's literally by doing what I just did. I just went to Scripture, and I was like, I, Lord, I need a story about how much you love me. I need a story about how valuable I am. Luke 15. That's how you get your emotional needs met with Jesus. You meet with Jesus. And you say, I have needs, and my wife's not going to fill them. Now, she can do a lot. My wife can care for me and love me and encourage me and comfort me and affirm me and appreciate me, but I will always need more. She'll never be enough. And that's hard to say about my wife, who I love more than anyone else on the planet, who I would give anything for, but the reality, I, I, she's not enough to fill my emotional needs. I'm not enough to fill hers. But our relationships will always be hard if they're straining under the weight of unrealistic expectations. It's the gospel. We've got to get really good at preaching the gospel to ourselves. Like I, that is that is not like a one-liner that I planned or any. That's like that's truth. We've got to get really good at preaching the gospel and saying, "Jesus, you died for me while I was yet still a sinner." My actions, I, I was not going to ever be good enough. I couldn't earn the value that you put on me. I couldn't say enough things, dress in the right way, uh, be with the right people, have the right relationships, have the right marriage. I couldn't do all the things to earn value enough. While I was dead in my sin, you died for me. You loved me. You looked at me in my brokenness. You looked at me when I was the son, wasting my life on things I thought would make me feel good and realizing I don't have anything in life anymore. And you looked at me when I was in that place, and you came running, and you came kissing, and you came saying, I love you. We've got to get really, it's the gospel. And if, we're, if we don't get really good at knowing the gospel, believing the gospel, and preaching the gospel to ourselves, our, I'm, I'm telling you, our, our relationships are going to suffer. Because we just, we're not made, we're not made, the, the gospel's made for, for us. We're not made to fill our tanks for each other. We're just not going to make it for the long haul, relationally. Now, I know some of you came in the room tonight, part two, relationships are hard. Maybe this will be the message that he, that he tells me how to, how to date right, how to land a wife, how to get the, the girl, how to whatever. I'm just realizing as I pray through, like, that's not what we need. Because you know what? You don't need to land a wife until you know the gospel. <laughs> and you don't need a wife until you know where you're getting your needs met. And you don't need a husband until you know your identity is just fine without one. So, there we go. <laughs> relationships are hard when we don't know who we are. And relationships are hard when they're all about us. 
when they're all about us getting served, getting what we, our needs met, and when they're all about us filling our emotional tanks with relationships instead of Jesus. I mentioned the gospel a second ago. I think that was probably the best I've ever preached it because it was just real. It was just there. It was just coming. But that's, that's what, we're, that's what, we're, that's what we're, we're all about, not only relationally, but just like that's, that's who we are as a people. It's the gospel. It's why we're here. It's why we're gathered tonight. While we were dead in our sin, he died for us. So can we just, for the, literally, for the love of God, stop pretending that we have anything together? We've got needs. We're broken. We're messed up. I mean, that's what Bi- the Bible says. But we try, to, we try to be perfect, and we try to get everything met by each other, by ourselves, and we miss out on the character of God and the heart of the gospel. While we were sinners, he died for us. It's just a free gift. If you're in the room tonight and you haven't received the gospel, I'm going to just say a prayer here in a minute. I want to invite you to pray with me. If you haven't been renamed by Jesus, if you are sitting here listening going, I I, I have no idea. I've never met this Jesus who could fill my emotional needs. I've never heard that he's the only one that can satisfy. Tonight's the night. The Bible says tonight's the night of today's the day of salvation, which means every day we're alive, it's the day of salvation because it's a free gift. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to get valuable enough for it. It makes us valuable. The gospel makes us valuable. So I'm going to pray. If you all want to bow your heads, the band wants to come up. And I'm going to pray. And Scripture's clear. Jesus is all about our heart. He's all about the attitude and the posture of our heart. So I'm going to say a prayer, and you can, you can uh, say the prayer with me. You can use your own words. You can make it your own words. He's after your heart. Let's just meet with Jesus. Jesus, I love you, and I need you. I've been doing it on my own for so long, and I can't do it anymore. I've been trying to get all of my identity and all of my needs met in other people or other things. But Jesus, I believe, I believe you have my every need. I believe you are the source of life. And I believe you are who you say you are. That you're the only way, the only truth, the only life. That you died for me that you rose again, that you conquered sin, you conquered death, and you marked out a way to live life that I might live in freedom. And you promised me abundant life. And that's what I want. I want to walk with you, and I want to know the abundant life that you offer. Amen.